up, who's going to read our scripture from Luke um, chapter 9. Listen, if you're capable, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? page 920 in the Black Bible. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his his head. Then he said to another, follow me. And Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for uh, this time that we have together to gather together in worship, um, to be reminded of your immense, um, unmatched love for us. Um, Father, it's unreal still that we can come together and worship um, in the grace of salvation that you have given to us, not because we could earn it, because we never could, but because you are good and because you love us. Um, and God, we, uh, um, we want to be a church that um, lives in that joy at all times, that we would always be filled with gratitude and that what happens here would, would boil over in our lives into um, the, the little worlds we live in outside of this building, uh, into the relationships that we have, um, all to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. Would you use this morning for that cause? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a, be- you can have a seat. Listen, I want to, before we get going, remind you also, uh, if you've been here, um, September 13th, we have our, our children's ministries opening up. I see a lot of kids out there. They've been doing so good through, uh, through this season, this awkward season, uh, and you parents have gotten pretty good <laughs> at, at coming and uh, being creative in the way to occupy your children. So we're so grateful for you guys, really, and uh, the work that you've done there, but we want to bless you as well uh, with opening our children's ministries back up. So you, if you decide to use them, right, just kind of come at your own risk. Uh, to some extent, but listen, it's going to be there, and so if you want to be a part of those opportunities of serving the children, serving on our Connect team, uh, serving in our nurseries, listen, we'd love to have you. All you have to do is go back there. There's a white table with uh, um, sheets of paper. You can put your name and information on there, and uh, um, we have some people, our ministry directors, Brooks up here, uh, whoever sees our nursery, they are putting together a rotation um, to begin to start on September 13th. So looking forward to that. If you have questions, she's right here. I'm up here. You can talk to us about, about what that looks like. Uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that. You can also sign up through our website. So we'd love to have you guys. Okay. Uh, how many people have been tuned into the NBA lately? Great. That's worse than the first service, by the way. Okay. All right. All right, Matt. This is from Matt. <laughs> um, no, but the, if you have been tracking it at all, um, it's, it's weird enough, I, I shall t- I'll tell you about it anyways, right? Uh, the whole league is quarantined at Disney World. 
all of the teams, all of the players, all of the coaches, probably their families, I don't know if they're allowed to, they're all at Disney World, and they've been doing the playoffs and the remainder of the season in Disney World. There's this big dome there, and so they've just quarantined the whole league to Disney World. I think it's fascinating, right? And if you watch a game, um, which is really hard because their schedule is crazy right now, um, but if you watch a game, you won't see people in the stands because they're not allowed, right? But what you will see is just these video screens lining the whole court of people who are watching from their living rooms and who knows where else, right? They're, they're tuned in through a webcam, and so it looks kind of like there's a crowd, but if you look close enough, it's just a bunch of people on video screens watching, and I guess it's to make it look like there's a crowd for the players or to make it feel more natural. I, I have no idea, right? But that's kind of where the NBA is. Uh, I have not been tracking it because it's just too weird to track. I don't know how to do it, um, but there has been one storyline that keeps coming to the top, um, even without me looking, and that's at the continued success of LeBron James. Now, have you heard of LeBron James? Okay, all right, so we're getting there. Thank you. LeBron James, he's a new upcoming star in the NBA. Um, you'll get to know him. I'm just kidding. He's been in the league forever. He's kind of an elder in the league now. He's 35 years old. Um, most people retire at the age of like 36 to 39. So he's pretty seasoned, um, right? Uh, his scoring, I mean, we've always known of him as this power-dominating uh, uh, just scorer, you know what I mean, who can average in the upper 20s um, or, or uh, low 30s points a game, right? But he's getting a little older, and it's kind of weird to see him not the leading scorer on his team or in the league. It's kind of weird to see him taking on a new role, but listen, he is. He's taking on a new role, and now at 35 years old, he is le he's leading the league. Uh, he's led the league this year in something that he's never led the league before ever in. And can you guess what it is? It's assists, Right? He has adopted this role as facilitator um, because, because this other part of him, though it's still pretty dominant and good and he still has some years in it, uh, he will probably not ever maybe be the most dominant scorer in, in the fashion that he was, say, even back in like 2012, okay? He has learned to adjust, to become a facilitator, to set his teammates up, to adopt uh, the, the vision and the mission of the team more instead of building personal stats. He's a facilitator. He sets his guys up. He helps them flourish. He helps the team accomplish its mission. It takes a little bit of a selflessness to do that, right? Which age does humble people. We get that, right? There's a natural thing there. But at the same time, he is taking on this role. And listen, what it has done for him has not only sparked, um, it's not only been a marker of his maturity, but it's also given him longevity in the league. If he can continue that, it will give him more and more years in the league. Listen, it's not only true for the, the NBA, that facilitating is longevity, it's a spiritual marker, or it's a, it's a mark of maturity, but it's also true in the church. That facilitating Spiritual growth, discipleship, helping people grow in the Lord, not being so focused on how the church can cater to your needs, but being more part of the process on how the church can tend to others and, and feed others and, and disciple others. This is a marker of spiritual growth. Listen, if you've gone to this church for 30 years, but your whole platform of attendance has been, what can FBN do for me, then you're not as mature as you think you are. It doesn't matter if your, church is, if your family's gone here for 100 years or if you've gone here for 30 years, it doesn't matter. If you're not actually facilitating spiritual growth for others, 
I mean, that's one of the benchmark markers of maturity. And that is something that we are called to step into. That is the second part and equal part of the Great Commission to become facilitators, to become people who don't just attend church to grow, but attend church also and equally to help others grow. To help others know Jesus more. To help others uh, flourish in their following of Jesus more. This is who we are also called to be. It's the second part of the Great Commission. And it's actually the longer part of the Great Commission. Okay, so look, at, uh, look with me. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 29, uh, and, or verses 19 and 20. Listen, this is the Great Commission. We've been looking at these verses almost every single week since we started. Jesus says, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, right? Sending is in that word go. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 and uh, in the uh, last chapter of Luke and, uh, and uh, Mark, right? Uh, it's the idea of being a witness, of going and proclaiming and witnessing all that Jesus is and all that he has done for you. That's everything we talked about for the last five weeks. The rest of this passage in Matthew is about discipleship. Make disciples. There's a process there of making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the first act of obedience, right, in this place of discipleship, believing in Jesus Christ. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded. There's a process that means teaching, right? Uh, people don't come to just know the Lord and they're just, well, now I automatically know how to do everything that he wants of me and how to please him in every way. And now I automatically know it. No, they've been introduced. They love the Lord because of what he's done for them. That's clear. But they need help. They need teaching to know how to observe and follow the commands that Jesus has put in place. And this is the work of the church. And he says... Also, remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a wonderful reminder if we're talking about discipleship that this was never something that was on us or even something that we could pull off because ultimately what we're talking about is growth. But it's God who does the growth, right? What he's called us to do is facilitate an environment that, that, that fosters the growing work that he wants to do in people's lives, right? He's given us what we need to do it, and he is there with us every step of the way. Okay, this is discipleship. Contrary to, to often thought, the Great Commission is about sharing faith and also facilitating, teaching, modeling the faithful following of Jesus Christ. This is discipleship. In essence, we're talking about spiritual growth. Do you want to grow in Christ? Do you want to follow him more? Do you want to help others do that as well? Because discipleship is the process by which people grow in knowing and following their Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's what we've been called to do. Does that make sense? Now I'm going to ask the question that's going to be the main question of the day. And the question is this. Do you know or do you, do you need this and do you desire this? Right? Because we could talk all day long about discipleship, and we're going to talk for weeks about it for sure. Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is whether or not you care enough to step into it, whether or not you are convinced that you need it and that you need to be a part of it for others. And so today what we're doing is just opening the conversation. Right? We're going to talk about it for weeks, but today we're just opening the conversation. So I want to encourage you now, even prayerfully, to have an attentive heart to just where you are at in the process uh, as a receiver of discipleship, but also a giver. How are you doing that? How are you, how are you being a part of FBN's attempts to facilitate this environment of discipleship? Okay? Be wrestling with that the whole time we're talking. 
I would be okay with that. Now let's look at that word disciples there in Matthew chapter uh, 28. Listen, we're going to get to Luke 9. Uh, I wanted to read that verse, because those passages, because I love those passages. We're going to get there at the end of our time today, so it's kind of different than how we normally do it. Uh, but I want to spend some time really understanding what the word discipleship means, uh, certainly which captures, you know, part of following Jesus Christ is discipleship. The word disciples here in Matthew chapter 28, okay, that word in the Greek is matheteo. Um, the root of that means learner, learner, pupil, follower. Uh, to be a disciple simply means that you are learning from something. Something is teaching you, something is forming you, and you are a disciple and you're being discipled by that thing. A similar word that we get in the English from that Greek etymology is mathematics. Mathematics. It's understanding. It's learning and understanding what is otherwise very complicated, right? The atomic bomb is a very complicated thing, but behind it, behind it is a world of science and math that explains it all. Right? And so discipleship, in a sense, is the mathematical process of spiritual growth. Right? Spiritual growth is the goal. Discipleship is how we get there. Discipline is another word in the scriptures that we, we, uh, we get straight from the same language that's used in Matthew 28. Discipline, right? What is good discipline? Well, it's discipline that teaches. It teaches and it forms something positive in your kid or in that person that you have to discipline, right? It's a teaching. Uh, loving discipline is, has, a, has a, a teaching purpose. It's not traumatic, right? Like, my kid did that, and so I need to pay them back, evil for evil. It's, it's, it's vengeful. It's, it's uh, filled with anger. Its, it's uh, whole purpose is to shame and to put down. This is traumatic stuff. It's definitely formative in a way, but in a negative way. That makes sense? Some of you are here now, and you're thinking, yeah, my mom and dad, they, they taught but, but it was traumatic, and it's not formed in me anything good to this day. You know what I'm saying? So discipline, it's teaching. It's teaching to form and to build up. This is discipleship. And when it's put that way, right, discipleship at, discipleship at its base level is just helping others know God more and follow him better. Right, at its very base level. And, and when put that way, we, we see it all through the scriptures. This is the whole of the New Testament, even in passages that we've probably known for a long time, uh, but don't automatically see discipleship sh jump off the pages. For example, Philippians uh, chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 8. It's a passage many of you know. It's a passage that has been uh, monumental for my wife and I through some struggles that we've gone through in the past. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, Dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? Let these things mark your mind. Well, how do you do it? Well, do what you have learned and seen in me. It was Paul who said, follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Right? Do what you have learned and seen in my life. Right? Paul Spent time discipling these people, and so they've seen the image of, of what is praiseworthy and good and, and noteworthy, and so they, they follow it. They have been taught it, and now it's time for them to follow it, to learn from it, and to put it into action, right? Later, in uh, 
in Philippians. He says, uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me and lacked the opportunity to show it. And he says, I don't say this out of need, for I have what? Learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Not only was Paul a good disciple, but he was, uh, or a good discipler, but he was also a disciple. Right? He was learning. He was always in the pathway of learning from the Lord. Now, it's interesting with the Apostle Paul because a lot of times what we teach is like, well, everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. Somebody pouring into their lives and somebody that they're pouring into, right? right? And we love that. Uh, and I think it's so, so good. And we're going to spend the next weeks talking about how these relationships in this community works in the realm of discipleship. But who was Paul's Paul? Right? Have you ever asked that question? Who was Paul's Paul? Who was pouring into Paul's life and creating this stuff in him? Paul had kind of a unique situation, didn't he? I mean, he came to Christ on the road to Damascus when Jesus, uh, you know, appeared to him. But he wasn't one of the 12 disciples, so he didn't have those years with Jesus. After he came to know the Lord, he started having, you know, interactions with people. He spent some, uh, a long while in solitude. He had a little bit of time with the 12 apostles. But overall, there was not this clear, overt process of somebody pouring into Paul's life and creating the, the, the wealth of wisdom that we see in Paul. But it doesn't mean he wasn't discipled. It might not have been as prescribed as we often think it should be. But he says here that I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. See, Paul had an attentiveness. Uh, he, he had a desire to always be growing. And so he had ears open and eyes open to see his even experiences and let God disciple him through even his experiences, his suffering his loss, his heartache, his pain. Through that, God discipled his heart and taught him something essential here, contentment, right? You're going to figure this out. Today, we're talking about it so broadly. Ultimately, if you want to be discipled, then you just have a, you need to have a heart open to receive. And listen, the world of discipleship and growing in the Lord and following him better, it will be right in front of you. And it's in everyday things. It's in people. It's in situations. It's in uh, um, suffering. It's in solitude. It's in heartache. It's in every single thing. If you are open to let the Lord speak to your heart in those places, to follow him better in those places, then you're going to make a great disciple. Right? You're going to make a great disciple. All of it hinges upon that. It hinges upon your conviction in the Lord. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, moving quickly, uh, verses 19 through 24, just another example of this because I love it. Talking about some people, he says, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of, kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. This was the, the way of these people. Calloused, promiscuous, practicing impurity and doing it even more and more and more. Right? Sounds similar to, to much of what's going on in our, uh, in our world today. And he says, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Again, same word used in Matthew 28. Knowing Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. This is discipleship. What's that process? Well, it's taking a person from their old self to their new self. It's teaching them how to do it. That's what he says, verse 22. To take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity and truth. You know, it's just not enough to go up and say, hey, love Jesus, follow Jesus, believe in Jesus. Okay, I give my life to Christ. All right, you got it from here. Right? They're still stuck in their old self. They've been redeemed. They've been saved by it. They've been forgiven. But they need help in how to actually live in faithfulness to the Lord. There's more to it than that, Right? 
There's more to it. And so we have to come alongside people and disciple to teach them, well, this is how you used to do things. This is what God, this is what is pleasing to God now. Right? And if you're coming from a place of callousness and feeding self-desires all the time, I'm telling you, it takes a process to work out of those things. Right? It takes a process. It's discipleship. It's spiritual growth. Now listen, I'm going to give you another one. We're going to kind of use this to transition into the next point. But I love this. I never saw discipleship as part of this. But now I do. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Listen. What Jesus is talking about here is a rigid system of, a rigid uh, religious system of 600 to 700 rules, a heavy, heavy yoke that was placed upon God's people, was it not? Living always under the weight of that law, never living in freedom, never living in that always and forever graceful forgiveness from Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, learn from me. I think deep down, even past discipleship of person to person and, and person to group and all that kind of stuff, all of the, our attempts to make it happen, deep down, it hinges upon whether or not you're letting the Lord disciple your heart now. Are you letting the Lord disciple your heart now through the ways and the pathways that he's already given us, through the context of the church for sure, right? The church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The church is his body. And so if you want to know Christ more, then you'll be in this, but also his word, because he is the word, he's been made flesh. We also have his gospels. We have his very example that he set before us of attitude and character. Dr. David Jeremiah said, and it's kind of convicting, he said, you know, very truly, people truly already have as much of God as they want. They already have as much of God as they want, right? And it kind of hurts because I think a lot of people, we just live in this world of like, oh, I want so much more, I want so much more, but... <laughs> You know, I don't know how I'm supposed to get it if they kill my Sunday school class or if they kill my, uh, you know, my, my opportunity in ministry or they're changing nursery things or they're adding a service now. It's not the, how I, I've always known to. I don't know if I, how I'm going to get it. I want to know more, right? But Jesus says, and he gives us a way to, to, to disciple him, him directly to our hearts, to speak to us directly. And if we're open to be, being discipled, that is the starting place of living in this community world of discipleship, of growing and helping others grow. Because his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Learn from him. Okay, he's given us himself. And it needs to start there. So listen, with all of that in place, and we're thinking about Jesus as being the ultimate discipler, let me give you this. Discipleship is the organic process of knowing and following Christ more and more through the facilitation and teaching and modeling of Christ, his word, and his church. We want to know him more. We want to follow him better. But listen, it is organic. We're going to start at ground level here talking about discipleship. And it is organic. And what I mean by that is it's not externally tied. It's not externally based. And it's also not prescribed. What works for one doesn't always work for all. And what I mean by external is, you know, well, my I am in a discipleship group. You know, I meet with John every Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m. at Java Hote. But if Java Hote ever closes down, I don't know what I'm going to do. If John ever dies or move, uh, moves, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? Where your discipleship, your spiritual growth gets tied to an external person or place or system or whatever it is, 
And then when that thing's removed from your life, what's left is kind of revealing on how mature you really are, right? Um, being in youth ministry for a long time, I, I heard about many youth groups where the youth leader would be there and he'd build up this big fire for the kingdom and all that kind of stuff, but then he'd move, he'd leave somewhere, and the youth group just crumbles. It's like all of a sudden not even a thing. Why? What, what was going on there? Was it possible that everybody's spiritual growth and discipleship was just tied to a person and not actually to Jesus Christ himself? See what I'm saying? So it can't be external. It's more organic. It's something that comes from the inside out. Like if the environment, just like if you plant a plant, you know, in the ground and the nutrients and, and the water and everything, the environment is conducive to growth, then it will grow. Now it's God's, it's God's role to make it grow. It's the church's role to create the environment. Does that make sense? Okay. Listen, there's a lot here. One-on-one discipleship groups, one-on-three, one-on-twelve. Weekly coffee meetings, D groups, small groups. Or you could take Paul's thing, you know, of having a, just a teachable heart to where even suffering and solitude and your personal prayer and reading and, and serving others, where it speaks to you. Um, my wife, one of the greatest disciples in her life, was Nancy Lee DeMoss, a person she's never met, but she has a radio ministry and it has formed something great in my wife. And listen, I'm not advocating that everybody was just like, well, I, don't know, I don't need the church anymore, I'll just listen to this thing forever, right? If it's real discipleship, then it'll increase your love for the Lord through his church, right? Through his word. It'll, it'll push you to the church if it's true. But listen, that's, if you have a heart that's teachable, then, then you can grow and know the Lord all the more, with, which is the essence of discipleship. Okay, so that's a loose definition. <laughs> it's scattered. I understand that. But listen, what I want to do now is just talk about a few things that can potentially get in the way of this. Okay, and that's where Luke 9 comes in. Because even if you have a teachable heart and, and you want this, you want to grow in Christ, you want to know Christ, you want to help other people do the same, it's not going to be easy. There's things that naturally get in the way. And Luke 9 kind of calls some of these things out. Jesus calls some of these things out. Let me start by saying this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, uh, there's this passage. Um, and he's talking about these selfish, hedonistic, godless people who says they're always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is kind of where the dangers begin, right? Because the reality is this. Everybody's being discipled all the time. You're always learning. You're always seeing. You're always taking in information. You're always bringing in voices. Um, there's a million voices out there. There's a million trends. There's relationships. All of it is forming something in us at all times. Not all of it is rooted in truth. So ultimately, what it, a, lot, a lot of it comes down to is just, is just the voices that you're letting sink into your life. For you and I, we need to understand that though discipleship is organic, that it still needs to be intentional in order to fight through the blur of voices and learnings and philosophies and everything out there that's not truth. You understand that there needs to be an intentional process. And what we need to fight against with this intentional process is the things that so often distract us from actually growing. And this is what Luke 9 calls out here. Uh, let's start in verse 57. Some dangers to discipleship here. He says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, that is discipleship at its core, following Jesus more and more, right? I want to be yours, I want to follow you, I want to know you better. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
Well, the first danger of discipleship, the first thing that can hinder discipleship is the danger of comfort. The danger of comfort. Basically, Jesus just told this guy, okay, you can follow me, but listen, if you have any concern uh, about your comfort of sleep, you need to know that it's not going to be there. Because I don't even have a place to lay my head. So if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to start embracing some of that as well. You're not going to have much. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience discomfort. Will that keep you from following me or not? That's up to you. I don't know. But the, the threat of comfort is so relevant and prevalent. You understand that following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus more, it requires mental energy. It requires physical capacity. It requires emotional transparency. It requires uh, maybe even financial responsibility. It will require much of you if you are serious about it. It doesn't really grow. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen accidentally. It might require us to start coming to FBN with maybe a different perspective. Because I think a lot of times we come with a perspective of, well, how, how can this church serve me today? I need a buffet of options so I can go there and get what I need to learn what I want to learn, to do what I want to do, to serve what I want to serve. I need all of this, and, and I, I, I need to, to know how, how this is all going to work for me. And I'm not saying that shouldn't be somewhat of your thought. Of course, we're all here because it's beneficial to us in some way. At the same time, though, wouldn't the more appropriate perspective be some of that and also more, I also want to come here and be used by the Lord at FBN to facilitate spiritual growth for others? Shouldn't that also be our perspective? Not to just come and to receive and to take and to grow and, and to come and receive and to take and to grow just for 30 years without ever thinking, well, what can I do for someone else so that they might grow? Shouldn't that even be maybe our primary focus? Like when you put your name on, on the nursery sheet back there, are you signing up because, because this is something that you, you, you actually want to help serve and you actually want to help disciple a three-year-old versus, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for me and it needs to be on my week and it needs to be with the age group that I want and if it's not there, then I'm not going to do it. Like, listen, you're going to burn out ASAP. Like, it, it's going to happen. But if you sign up ready to facilitate First of all, that's a marker of maturity. Secondly, it gives you longevity in the place of ministry. It gives you longevity. This is what we should have as our perspective. So that's the first thing, is comfort. Second is this security. Security, look with me at verse 59. Another guy says, or Jesus said, he said to another, follow me. And this guy says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. First let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Man, that seems harsh from Jesus, doesn't it? Most scholars would tell you that what this guy was saying wasn't, my dad just died, let me go bury him and then I'll follow you. That wasn't what was going on. This was a response of, of duty to the family. Let me go home and see my duty as son to the family through. And my dad will eventually die someday and we'll figure out all the inheritance stuff and then... I'll follow you, but only after I do what I feel like I'm supposed to do here. You see what I'm saying? And the risk with that, first of all, is that if Jesus is saying, follow me now, the risk is disobedience, but the risk is also, well, I'm going to go to my house and I'm going to see this through, but 
the risk is that my father's going to die. There's going to be an inheritance that needs seen through or taken care of. There's going to be land. There's going to be an estate, right? And, and what could eventually happen is like just if I, if I say I'm going to follow you then realistically, I probably won't. And listen, it's kind of a weird thing, but I, I've, I've had at least a few people in my life who have these radical calls to the mission field or to ministry. They have these big calls. You know what I mean? And they say, well, this is what God has called me to do. But, you know, I need to, you know, I need to make some money first. Uh, I should probably start a family. Um, I should probably get some of these things in order, you know. And then, and then I'll follow. Then I'll, then I'll go. Right? They're not on the mission field. They're not there. And it's not because they don't want to be necessarily. It's not because God's done with their story. He's certainly not. It's just maybe there's been a momentary place of distraction of security that has played into it all. Listen, if we find our security in how things have always been or if we find our security in, in any of that stuff, it's, it's going to limit. It's going to hinder. Right? Listen, the third is this. Um, verse 61, I feel like this is far more relevant to the whole here. 61, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who, fit, who, who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Half-heartedness is the danger. Half-heartedness. I would say this guy probably had a tinge of conviction, but mostly it was uncertainty, it was fear, it was hesitation, it was an attachment to how things are. Almost like he's saying, okay, Lord, I'll go, but first, let me go back to my family, let me go back to my household and let them know that I'm never going to see them again because you want me to follow you. I'll do it, but first let me go and tell everybody how much, how much this is hurting me and, and how much uh, cost it's going to be for all of us. You know what I mean? It's a half-heartedness where one side is like this obligatory, I'll do it, but then the other side is like, but I don't really want to. Like, there's just a sorrow about leaving what you've become so accustomed to. It's the same thing with, you know, uh, the whole thing with Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot's wife. You know what I mean? When she looks back, God said, don't look back at the cities as they're burning because you'll turn into salt. She looked back. Why? Because she, she, she missed what was going on there. She looked back with like, oh, man, I, I know I need to go here, but, man, that was good. You know what I'm saying? half-heartedness. There's no conviction there. And whenever there is uh, what looks like obedience, but without conviction, then what discipleship and spiritual growth becomes about is just uh, maintenance, not maturation. There's no spiritual maturity. It's just maintenance. It's just keeping things where they are. Some people have been going to church for years and years and years just for the sake, it's a half-hearted, obligatory, I'll go, it kind of hurts, you know, everything, it's not uncomfortable, but I'll go. And the whole point of it has just been maintenance. They've been in the same place they've been since they were younger. That's not spiritual maturity, that's not real discipleship. We've got to enter into that world. So listen, what we have here in Luke chapter 9 is a battle of kingdoms. Right? We have our kingdom of comforts and securities and, and fears and uncertainties and half-heartedness and all that kind of stuff. But then we have God's kingdom who he is saying, go and spread the news of the kingdom. Follow, uh, uh, follow after him in the kingdom. He says at the end, no one who looks back is fit for the kingdom. Man, I hope the people of FBN and FBN ministry as a whole is fit for the kingdom. That understands that God has called us to this work and that we go without turning back at all. 
that we don't even look back. Sure, it's going to hurt sometimes when you make, bring change into the picture. It always does. But isn't it worth it if it means we'll be more effective for the gospel and helping others grow? And inadvertently, kind of at the same time, we will be growing ourselves through the process. Isn't it worth it? So listen, all of this to say, I pray today that the conversation has been opened up in your hearts. That you have all of this swirling around in your head. And I pray that you take the next week to be praying about where you're at on all this. Is this something worth pursuing for you, for your family? Is this something you want to be a part of of FBN? Because we deeply desire to be a ministry that facilitates spiritual growth in people so they follow God and know him more. That's what we want to be. Is it what you want for this ministry? Is it what you want for you and yours? Because if there's a conflict there, I'm telling you, it's not going to happen for you. It's got, to, it's got to be a conviction of your heart. It's got to be something that you say, you know, Lord, I, I, I trust you with this. I know it's not going to be easy. There's going to be cost to it. But I understand that what you want to do through it is more than could ever be accomplished with how things are. Okay. I pray that you'd be praying about this today. Ultimately, the question is just simply this. Do you want it? Do you need it? Are you convinced by it? Are there things that are hindering it? And if so, can we take just a week to pray against those hindrances and for God to just speak to our own hearts about it? And then in the coming weeks, Brett's going to preach more and more about this. And we want to be teachable people, ready to be discipled by the Lord, uh, for him to speak directly to our hearts in regards to this. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he does through FBN as a result of all this. I pray you are too. Let's pray. God, we, uh, um, we just... Submit this morning to you, submit this message to you, submit um, our time together. God, even despite me, uh, despite um, any unclarity, despite um, even some people's wrestlings and confusions and concerns, I pray that um, above it all, we would wrestle with just that one question. Is, is this worth pursuing? For me, for my family, for this ministry, is this worth uh, uh, what you have called us to do? Is this worth the cost? Is it worth the pain? Is it worth changing things dramatically so that I might grow and I might help other people grow as well through the process of discipleship? Father, would you allow us to wrestle, allow us to bring ourselves before you candidly, allow you to speak to our hearts and that we would have open hearts and open ears to receive from you as you see fit uh, to speak to us, all to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few little pointers on the screen. Um, if God has already revealed something in your heart that you need to be praying about, then please take that lead also. There's just a few things up here uh, for you to consider. And if we could all be praying over just the next couple weeks as we continue this conversation about discipleship, would you be praying for Pastor Brett, praying for this church, um, that we would become a place, a facility of discipleship. Uh, it's all for the glory uh, of Jesus' name. So take a few moments here.
just going to invite you to stand and sing with us for one last song in response. Place so my soul will. 